0: Well, the 2024 class is all but wrapped up, but 2025 recruiting efforts, they're well underway for the Ducks. Here we go.
1: You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every
0: day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers join today. You'll get two hundred dollars in bonus bets if your first bet of five dollars or more wins. Visit fandle.com slash locked on to get started. Got my guy Max Torres here to talk some recruiting today. LinkedIn Jobs is our official recruiting sponsor here at the Locked On Podcast Network. He's at M Sports on Twitter, covering uh, X, excuse me, covering the Ducks for Fan Nation at Sports Illustrated. You can also check him out online. He's everywhere. He is the man, the myth, the legend. Max, let's hop right into 2025 as I stumble my way through this opening to today's show. It is time to think about 2025 on the recruiting front. Even though National Signing Day is six days away, this is the modern world of college football, and Oregon only has one outstanding name, really, in the class of 2024. And, you know, Gatlin Bear, we'll get to him in just a moment, but the 2025 efforts, they're off to a strong start.
1: They certainly are, Spencer. the The 2025 class is officially on the clock. That was that was what I titled one of my recent episodes, and um, it's kind of exciting, right? Because it's a a new batch of recruits. Uh, A lot of these guys, I kind of have a little bit of a feel for, but a a majority of them, I would say, and not in an unprepared way, but in an exciting way, I don't necessarily know a whole lot about. So it's uh, you know you got to find new sources, new connections. Uh, new camps to go to there's going to be seven on seven tournaments i'm going to be at so i'll hopefully get to see a lot of these guys but oregon's in a really good spot as far as just where they're at starting things off they only have four verbal commitments right now but that's good enough for the number 12 class nationally according to the 247 sports rankings and they already have their signal caller which is big and achilles smith jr and then they already have two of the best receivers in the country in dallas wilson and adrian wilson so now we kind of have to turn the page like we were talking about, see where the priorities are, and see who some of the big names are with a lot of big visits happening this weekend and this month.
0: Yeah, the other commit for the Ducks in the 2025 cycle right now is 24-7 sports three-star Chavez Thompson, interior offensive lineman from Melbourne, Florida. So Oregon once again putting on full display the geographical reach that they've got with this staff. And Dan Lanning, when he's had a full recruiting cycle with uh, you know, the, the staff has had a little bit uh, of change. You know, Kenny Dillingham for Will Stein and Matt Pallage for Chris Hampton, Adrian Clem for Elite Terry. And, uh, you know, now, of course, Coach Meat has moved on and they've made some promotions from within. I, I think that this staff, once again, is set up to recruit at a top 10, 15 level.
1: Yeah, that should definitely be the expectation. I, I wouldn't even really I think Oregon's at a spot where I don't even think top 10, top 15 should be a consideration firmly within the top 10, I think is, is certainly the expectation now for, for Oregon, if not really closer to the top five. I think that is truly where Dan Lanning has taken this program. Um, certainly with the caliber of talent they're able to attract in the hot start, they're already off to. Um, It might take a little bit for for the fans to realize it, but there is already a tremendous amount of momentum in the 25 class.
0: There is. And, you know, the transfer portal gets a lot of attention, rightfully so. You can make an instant impact on your roster. You can change your roster, alter position groups, do that all in one offseason, not have to always play a long developmental game. But still, high school recruiting does matter a great deal. You're not going to see the big schools like Alabama and Georgia and everybody like that just disregard high school recruiting because the transfer portal is there there's a team that only focuses on the transfer portal their name in the Colorado Buffaloes and that's certainly not where Oregon is trying to be and again you can improve you can get better but still the core the foundation of your roster is built through the high school recruiting ranks and guys that, you know, maybe take a year or two to develop into full-time players. And I think that Oregon having recruited well over the last couple of cycles sets them up for success going forward. In addition to the guys who were, who are the cherries on top, or maybe even the headline starters sometimes with, with regards to the roster going forward. So as you look at, you know, where Oregon sits going into 2025, I, I, I think I'm with you after you said it, I, that, Oregon's expectation should be to recruit at a top 10 level they're they're off to a strong start but who are some of the names that the Oregon fans should be aware of right now
1: some of those names uh some of them are even coming to campus this weekend Spencer I'll start with one of the the biggest targets out west and and kind of right in my backyard here in Southern California and that's Nasir Wyatt uh out of Santa Ana Mater Day Ducks have really built a, a, an expanding pipeline to one of the best programs in the country after signing Aiden Breeland out of modern day this past cycle, as well as Jack wrestler. Uh, and now they're, they're looking to, to kind of try to clean house again. I mean, they were involved with a number of other guys in that 24 class, Xavier Brown, a corner and all American who ended up at Alabama and Nate Frazier, a running back, also an all American. He ended up at, at Georgia. So they're, they're really doing a good job as far as just prioritizing some of these guys, uh, like I mentioned at the top of the show, just getting a feel for Oregon's priorities. And then they have to become the guys that I follow. So Nasir Wyatt's going to be in town this weekend. He was actually originally scheduled to go to Florida, but then Dan Lanning came by the school and now he's heading to Eugene for the weekend. Just kind of Lanning communicated how urgent it is that they get him up to campus for another visit. I believe he hasn't been in camp- on campus since uh, the fall. I want to say it was the USC game, but the, the things are going to go dead here for a majority of February. So uh, recruits aren't going to be taking as many visits and then the coaches aren't going to be taking as many visits on the road themselves. So Nasir Wyatt is one of the best in the country. He did kind of say that he hit the reset button after all the mini coaching carousel moves that came from the Saban retirement. But I think Oregon is still firmly the team to beat there. I I put my prediction in for Oregon to land him in the fall and uh, nothing has happened since then to, to lead me to believe otherwise. But um, along with Nasir Wyatt, let's just stay at modern Day for a second. Why don't we, uh, Jordan Davison, he is one of the very best running backs in the country. Certainly the number one running back on the West coast. Uh, it's Oregon and Texas. Those are the schools that I think you hear most frequently mentioned. He's also going to be taking the trip up this weekend to Eugene. And I know that Oregon would really like to sign Davison especially after missing out on Frazier last cycle, but he's a special talent. And I think that the ducks have a really good shot when you see Carlos Laughland, uh in the work that he's done. So not to just focus on Southern California though, um, but I, mean, I'll, I'll, just keep going if you don't stop me. So we'll, we'll just start there. Well, I do
0: have one, I do have one question for you. Cause trust me, we got plenty of time to roll through other names and such, but you're down there in Southern California, a place where Oregon really under Mario Cristobal started to establish a pipeline where that used to be USC dominated territory. That's just not the case. What's kind of the status of Oregon's brand and awareness and just kind of recruiting prowess down there in SoCal? It's
1: as strong as it's ever been. That that's for sure. Uh, I mean, when I was talking to to Wyatt, he was talking about, hey, you know, it's kind of in the backyard. Eugene is. It's not too far. Uh, it's an easy flight. My parents can get up there. And I think really, if you look at what we've seen in the past couple of years, Spencer, Oregon has been the most successful program if you're just comparing them with the other two LA programs in USC and UCLA. So um, I think USC is trying to figure things out right now. And and now you have these Chip Kelly rumors um, after like we thought he was going to be fired and then he wasn't going to be fired. And then now he might want to leave anyway. Uh, it is really crazy, but I mean, yeah, he
0: interviewed is- by the way, just so everyone's aware he interviewed and got to a second round reportedly with the, the Las Vegas Raiders for their offensive coordinator position.
1: Yeah. And then now I, th- I think he's getting linked to the commanders opening as well. Yep. I want to say, Um, so it's, you know, you're seeing the coaching carousel in the NFL level, having an effect on the, uh, on the college landscape, obviously, but Oregon is as hot as any team in the country right now. I think when it comes to recruiting, their stock is through the roof. UCLA is kind of a question mark. I think a lot of people don't really expect them to be that competitive in the big 10. Uh, USC is making all the right moves, I think, to try to turn things around, putting a bigger emphasis on high school recruiting, uh, having a complete reshuffling almost of that defensive staff um after Alex Grinch got let go as the the defensive coordinator but Oregon's brand to answer your question Spencer it is as strong as it's ever been and it is thriving down here in Southern California
0: and there are lots of names to know and we'll get to those names Right after we get to FanDuel, of course. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best bets, the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W, or two, or three, or like LeBron said when he joined the Heatles, or five, or six, not seven, not eight. Yeah, they went two, by the way. Anyway, just thought I'd slip that in. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58. FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers join today. You'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of just $5 or more wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Rolling along here with my guy, Max Torres. Check him out at M Sports on X, formerly known as Twitter. Let's dive back into the names and one that, you know, everyone does know for 2025. Because, you know, the reason I wanted to get the ball rolling on this stuff is Oregon just has one potential recruit to land for 2024. And it's Gatlin Bear, the five-star wide receiver. It's down to Oregon and Michigan. Oregon's in a good spot because Jim Harbaugh left to the NFL. But that's even not a 2024 recruit. That's 2026 recruit, essentially, because he's going to take a two-year LDS mission. So I think that for the Ducks, from a recruiting standpoint and for the fans, it is time to focus on 2025. And the one name in that class that everybody does know is Achilles Smith Jr., who is six foot five. You just don't see a lot of quarterbacks like that. Now, Ty Thompson was also six foot five. So that's not. That's not that's not the be all end all, of course. But what's kind of the latest surrounding Achilles Smith Jr. and is Oregon? Still, you know, got him on the lock.
1: I, I believe they still have him on the lock. Um, I asked him if any any more schools were still recruiting them, and it didn't really seem like there was anything new to report there. Um, and I think you probably feel if you're an Oregon fan that you have a little bit more um, security there or certainty with him being a Duck legacy. But I think that they are really trying to build this class around him, seeing that he is a legacy. He's the, he's not the highest rated recruit they have, but for all intents and purposes, I think he is the face of this class. Um, and they already have a couple of really good wide receivers in the fold with Dallas Wilson and Adrian Wilson, who I mentioned, Dallas Wilson's out of Tampa, Florida, and he's going to be on campus this weekend. Uh, and Adrian Wilson is out of the state of Texas. Uh, a lot of other schools are, are still involved there, but as of right now, he's, he's solid with Oregon long way to go before the 2025 signing day right but Achilles Smith things are solid I think he's just been working on bulking up this offseason he told me that he measured in at 225 pounds when he was uh, in Eugene last weekend for his visit which I think is really important Spencer because he's trying to really develop that dual threat skill set and I think he's a really gifted runner it's just a matter of maintaining that athleticism agility quickness speed while you're adding that weight and I think that that's definitely a positive development if you're an Oregon fan seeing that you're your uh, quarterback of the future is is putting that on. So um, not super eventful with Achilles Smith Jr., but he is. He did tell me he's working on recruiting some pretty big names. Uh, I think the biggest one is probably Decorian Moore, the number one wide receiver in the country for 25 out of Duncanville, Texas. Currently verbally committed to LSU, and I've been talking to some sources that tell me that um, they're still trying really hard to get him on campus for a visit. Uh, so I think that recruitment's got a long way to go, even though he's verbally committed to LSU. And then you have Fahim Delaney, the number one safety in the country out of uh, only Maryland. Uh, he was on campus recently, and this is another guy that Achilles Smith Jr. said he was uh, working to recruit as well as DJ Pickett, a big time DB out of um, Florida, who has been rumored to be maybe making it out to Eugene this weekend. So those are some of the other names to know here. Uh, and that Achilles Smith Jr. talked to me about.
0: Yeah, I think Delaney is a guy that interests me, you know, getting the top safety in a class. I know Oregon fans might, uh, the ones that follow recruiting have, some element of PTSD from the the Bowen situation in Oklahoma to Oregon to Notre Dame and everything like that. But the safety room that, that Oregon has going into 2024, I think Kobe Savage is certainly going to be a starter. But if memory serves, he's got just one year of eligibility left. And then you you have some other guys that are coming into that room, like Aaron Flowers, for instance, has picked up a lot of buzz. I wonder if he plays it all as a true freshman. You've also got Tyler Turner and Cody DeCambra from the 2023 cycle. That'll be redshirt freshman next season in in the safety room. But I think that that's a position where Oregon certainly is going to have, you know, a little bit more of a reset perhaps than some other spots. Whereas defensive line from 2024 to 2025, I almost think Oregon can – back off I don't think they will just to be clear this is Dan Lanning and Tasha Lupoy. they're going to recruit high level defensive linemen as best they can however it is not as great of a need at this point in time barring just a barrage of transfers from that group because of how well they've recruited over the last couple of cycles so when I hear Zaheem Delaney's name being tied to Oregon out there that's a name that that definitely interests me because you know, Oregon has been searching for better production out of their safeties. I think they got it this year, but I think there's still another gear they can take defensively from that group.
1: I definitely would think so. Um, the, the defensive linemen are going to be interesting to watch in this cycle, Spencer, just because of how the talent is spread out geographically, like those bodies that you saw the Ducks get this past cycle, Jericho Johnson, Aiden Breland, even Elijah Rushing, That there's not as many of those this cycle, if you're just looking at some of those top guys that we've been able to identify so far uh, early on. But I think the safety group is going to be one that's really interesting to monitor, especially because I've been hearing more and more lately about Chris Hampton. Uh, I know you've been a big fan of his, even dating back to when he joined the staff. So we're really starting to see him, not that he wasn't already, you know, working his tail off, but I feel like even more so lean into his, his recruiting power prowess, excuse me, after he was uh, he was promoted to defensive backs coach to go along with his co defensive coordinator title and and Fahim Delaney is is just about a, as big of a name as you'll find. There is another big name coming to campus this weekend that I told you about before we recorded, and that's Trey McNutt. He is an athlete slash safety out of Cleveland area Shaker Heights High School top. 30 he's number 36 nationally the number two safety in the country according to the 247 sports composite so just crazy crazy talent flooding to eugene you have the number one safety one weekend in delaney and then now you have mcnutt coming this weekend so uh they're they're doing absolutely everything they can to get as much talent they can on campus this weekend uh before things go dead
0: yeah and and the class so far you know has got a quarterback an offensive lineman and two receivers it's going to take shape beyond that. But you made this point earlier that, you know, it's kind of built around Achilles Smith Jr. and, and he's going after the the kid from Duncanville, remind me his name.
1: Uh Decorian Moore.
0: Yeah, Decorian Moore. Like that that Duncanville, by the way, powerhouse high school in the state of Texas. Big, big time high school. I, I don't know if it's quite on the modern day level within the state of Texas, but it, it's certainly in that realm of, hey, this is one of the elite high schools in the entire state and I think that having Smith Jr. already committed just speaks volumes about you know what what this staff is capable of doing on the trail because that's a really highly rated recruit and Oregon's got all these other quarterbacks right like they they decided that you know Michael Van Buren was no longer going or I don't know which side that came from to be fair but you know they lost a four star quarterback commit and yet their quarterback room is is going you know solidly four deep in in, in the next year. Nova said got some run in the bowl game. Dante Moore has started games at the power five level. Dylan Gabriel will be the starter. And then you have Luke Moga coming in. And, And so the fact that Achilles Smith Jr., as you mentioned, is not, you know, majorly entertaining, at least publicly, other options and other schools you know the legacy component helps but i I think that speaks volumes about the way uh about the way the staff is has been recruiting at you know every single position because we think of dan lanning and we think of the defensive recruiting rightfully so but the staff is really really good up and down
1: it absolutely is and we're getting a little bit more clarity as far as some of the other positions like that's kind of the 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 point that i'm at right now is like have a good feel for the running backs the receivers the tight ends um that, that the Ducks are, are going after. Deshaun Brame is another one to watch, uh, big-time tight end out of Kansas. He's He's been uh, rumored to maybe come to Oregon this weekend. I haven't been able to confirm that one myself, but keep an eye out for him. Um, but we're seeing these priorities kind of come to the surface a little bit more now that Oregon is firmly on to the 2025 class. And I think the big thing to watch here is two things, Spencer. One is, it does Oregon want to add another quarterback in 2025 in addition to Kelly Smith Jr.? I don't know. I don't think it's a need necessarily because you have multiple years of eligibility left with Dante Moore. I think he's obviously looking like your long-term guy after Gabriel, but who knows? We'll have to see there. And then the other one that I wanted to to mention was just how Oregon chooses to stagger this momentum, because I think that the timing of these announcements and the commitments really, really are incredibly strategic. You look at Jabbar Muhammad's commitment uh, in conjunction with Dan Lanning announcing the the spring game and the the big time hoops game that they had last weekend i think that that's all pretty important and i think that they could go on a run um b- before too long uh especially when you consider uh the fact that gatlin bear is is looking to announce his decision soon i put my prediction in for him this week um so if you can couple bears commitment with maybe a couple other ones you're you're looking at a really good really good little run that Oregon could potentially be putting together
0: Big-time targets. Already, some solid recruits that have committed to the Ducks in the 2025 cycle. All in all, recruiting, as has been the case under Dan Lanning and company, off to a good start and headed in the right direction. Max Torres is at M Torres Sports on X, formerly known as Twitter. The lead editor and publisher of Ducks Digest, host of the Ducks Dish podcast. Max, my man. Thanks so much for stopping by.
1: Thanks for having me on, Spencer. Appreciate it.
0: Everything you need to know about Oregon's game last night against USC. That's coming up next. So Oregon got the win last night over USC. The stretch they have in February does not provide an opportunity for a lot of high quality wins. Oregon is two and four in quad one games this year which is not great when you're trying to build an at-large resume so what that means and oregon can still absolutely build a resume to get into the tournament is they have to win games last night in the fashion in which they did would have been great if when they had a 16 point lead it had remained there but still oregon beats usc in los angeles 78 to 69 at the galen center so for Oregon going forward, they're 7-3, and three, tied for first with Arizona in the Pac-12. The Wildcats, of course, have the head-to-head, and Oregon will see them again in Tucson later this year. Oregon's 15-6 overall on the season. Their seven games in the month of February are against teams that, for the most part, outside of Washington State, are at the bottom half of the Pac-12, and you have to beat up on those teams. And frankly, they need to beat Washington State again because that's, a decently quality win because they're a borderline ncaa tournament team themselves with the way they've played this year and they've got a win over arizona so oregon went into los angeles last night and played well from the start came out of the gates Shellstad was hooping he ended the game with 20 points now he was hot early and then found some shots late and was really cold in the middle. The good news is even without Keyshawn Barthelemy, Oregon was able to get production from a variety of players. All five starters were in double figures. Cario Equendo hit some timely shots and had some really, really tough finishes in the lane. Jermaine Kuznard, he is so on and off from three. He either swishes it or airballs it. There's not really a lot of in between, or he gets big, massive bounces off the rim. But that guy really is the heart and soul of this team, especially at the defensive end. And that's how Oregon won this game. So over the course of this season, Oregon has, uncharacteristically for a Dana Altman team, struggled on the defensive end. With Enfali Dante back, it hasn't gotten as much, it, it hasn't improved as much as you would like to have seen so far. This was a better performance But allowing 39 points in the first half was not great, especially since USC wasn't hitting an overly high uh, number of threes. They were like five of 14, which is you'd like to be better from a perimeter defense standpoint. But I think that for Oregon going forward, their offense, even without Keyshawn Barthelmy and Nate Biddle didn't play last night. Either he can be an offensive weapon. They've got the depth. As long as there are two bigs that can play and Modiawara Diawara can be the third between, uh, between Kwame Evans Jr. and Folly Dante Nate Biddle, as long as two of those guys are playing, Oregon can do well on the glass. They're capable of more defensively. But really, these guys just know how to score. And that's something that hasn't always been the case with Dana Altman teams. And, you know, Shellstad certainly has to learn how to play well against the higher caliber opponents. But these are really good opportunities for him because these are teams that are not as strong as the Arizonas or Utahs or Colorados of the world. And he's going to have to play well in those games. And I think he's capable of doing so. But Shellstad had a little bit of a slide. He hit a freshman wall, and that's a completely natural thing to do. So now he needs an opportunity to get his rhythm back. And this game was certainly that. And he looked like the Jackson Shellstad of the early part of this season. He's not the only guy out there making a difference. He's he's far from it. But He's certainly, when he's going, the driving point of the offense. He had six assists in this game as well. That's a really big number for college basketball. Typically, the leaders on a team in assists per game are often around three to four, whereas in the NBA, those numbers can be anywhere in the eight to ten range. They play more games, and they tend to play better basketball as well. So I think that the way Oregon played in that game against USC is their NCAA tournament selves. Will we see that every game from here on out? I don't know. Teams tend to be inconsistent up and down as the season goes along. But for the Ducks, they play UCLA on Saturday. That's up next. The Bruins have been playing much better basketball. Much, much better basketball Over the last couple of weeks, still a game that Oregon has got to be able to win. Then next week, the Washington schools come to town and Oregon scraped by with two wins in Seattle and Pullman when they played those games. It was close. Both times came down to the wire and Oregon got those wins, which are huge for their resume right now, having road wins, especially over Washington state. Can't lose any games at home, period, point blank, end of story. But the rest of the opponents that they play in the month of February are Oregon State, Cal, and Stanford. That's where good. The Beebs are in there twice, and then you have Cal, and you have Stanford, and then you've got the two Washington schools. And for Oregon to go in that stretch, I, I've said this before, and they're off to the good start, of course, with the win over USC. Six and one is what they need. Six and one is what they need. Now it's a six game, you know, a, a six game mini season is where Oregon is at. And they need to go 5-1 and one in those games, minimum, right? If they were to go 6-0, and oh, that'd be great. I, I don't know that I can expect that when there are road games in there. But certainly Oregon's capable of going 7-0. It would be great if they did. However, I think if they just can go 5-1 and one in their next six games, they've got the win against USC, then they will be in good shape. Where would that stumble come? Probably Washington or Washington State, frankly, at home. But I think if they, or honestly, Oregon stayed on the road, that's a dangerous team in in Corvallis. their Their record isn't very good, but they're they beat Arizona, and Oregon did not. So anything could happen in college basketball there. So those would be the games I'd say are the most likely ones for them uh, to drop. But this is a really good start. Saturday needs to go well, and if they're two and zero there, then just keep just get on to the next one. And just keep racking up the wins because Oregon's 15 and six right now. If they go five and one in their next six games, which they're more than capable of doing, sitting at 20 and seven with a month of March that has got opportunities for quality wins and then the the, the Pac-12 tournament as well in Las Vegas, I think that would be a pretty good place for Oregon to be as they as they try to build in that large resume now look you can always just go and you'll know, win the pac-12 tournament it'll be wide open i i truly believe that but ucla who won on thursday is 10 and 11 washington's you know they look strong at the start of the year but they've kind of fallen off they're sitting at 12 and 9 washington state is good they're also 15 and 6 but if oregon can go in their next six games five and one i am gonna want to make sure one two three four five six seven okay my math was off there seven games left In the month of February, it's UCLA, Washington, Washington State, Oregon State, Stanford, Cal, Oregon State again, go six and one in those games. Oregon could be 20 and seven with three games in March, which would be Arizona on the road, Colorado at home, Utah at home. They they, couldn't they if Oregon goes six and one in their next seven. And wins at least one, but preferably two of those games, and two of the three are at home against Colorado, Utah, and Arizona. The mountain schools are are at Matthew Knight Arena and then Arizona is on the road. If you win one of those games plus a six and one stretch here, Oregon would be sitting at, let me do some quick math, twenty one and seven. They'd be they'd be twenty two and nine going into the Pac twelve tournament. That's a pretty good place to be. And I think Oregon could do it. So that's where things stand. We'll see how things go on, on Monday. And I'll talk about that game. As always, if you have any questions uh, about basketball, football, or anything else, let me know. YouTube comments or X, formerly known as Twitter, at S. McLaughlin, CFB, or at Locked on Ducks. DMs and mentions wide open. You can also get priority access over in the flock at subtext, which is uh, in the description below, wherever you listen to or watch this show. Like and subscribe if you have not already. Appreciate everybody. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, go Ducks.